0: All right, psychology nerds, and welcome to another episode of Psychology and Stuff, the podcast out of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. I'm Ryan Martin, one of the hosts of Psychology and Stuff, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host. She is the chair of the UW-Green Bay Psychology Program, an environmental psychologist and statistician, my chum, my buddy, my (laughs) pal, my dear friend, Dr. Georgina Wilson-Dungus. Dungas. is it going, G?
1: It is going great. I thought we, like... We got rid of the chum. Yeah. I I thought that we decided that, but we didn't.
0: Yeah. I I actually, I I decided to lean into it more, uh, as you you might have noticed. In fact, not only that, but here's what I've done since our last episode. I I went and I looked up synonyms today for friend uh, to see what some alternatives were, what some options were. You know... I'm going to be honest, there's a lot here that I don't like very much. Um that I, that I don't think we should use, but I'm still going to share it with share them with you. So are, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Uh you could be my companion, uh which
1: <laughs> No.
0: <laughs> yeah, sounds no. like we're dating. You could be my my boon companion, which is probably something I should know but don't. You could be okay. my best friend, which is fine. My 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 intimate? <laughs> <No>. Uh
1: <laughs> <laughs> These nope. are
0: okay. I think we get into some better ones here. So my confidant, my alter ego, my soulmate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no
0: my, my shadow. Uh my okay. My playmate or my play fellow. <laughs> <laughs> my workmate, my alley, my comrade, my associate. My sister, my pal, my buddy, my chum, my spar, my sidekick, my cully. Your I'm what? worried some of these are inappropriate. My crony.
1: My busy, my <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Ooh, Suddenly, like, chum sounds great. <laughs> I think we should go with that.
0: <laughs> How about like, mucker? Is mucker seem what? like a an option we can
1: use? Oh, that sounds like, like, a fish that is resides at the bottom of the ocean.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. That does sound like that. Okay. Well, I think, uh, yeah. yeah, I think we got a lot of options.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I, I would like you to like swap out chum every once in a while just to surprise me. Okay.
0: Um, I could, like, I maybe I could
1: not switch. like the intimate one you yeah, <laughs> like, I, I don't, I don't think I want to go there. Um, okay. And, until we figure out what a mucker is, like, don't call me that. Avoid that one, too. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, there's there's Amiga, Compadre, paisan, Homie Bro, Home Girl.
1: <laughs> home Girl. <laughs> I kind of like that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we've got a lot of options here that I like. How have you been, G? I
1: have been great. Um, We are recording this at the end of Psych Week for UWGB Psychology. So it's been a really exciting week where our students have just been shining stars. So it's been great.
0: Yeah, I've been super, super, super jazzed about all of that. Um, we had the Psyche induction on Tuesday, which was really great. What sounds like in total, we had like 40 new inductees, yep. 40 plus maybe. But then that night there were like 20, 20 plus who actually walked the stage, um, which was cool. It's always, always super fun to see them do that, see their parents there so proud and other family there so proud, Which is, which is rad. Yep. Um, and then last night we had the Psy Talks. You want to talk about the Psy Talks?
1: Yes, they were like five really engaging talks about um, how psychology relates to maybe their internship or job or research in a lab or other kinds of research or they're just their life story. And it was very inspiring to hear how Uh, we live out psychology every day in the things that we do. And so they did a fabulous job and we're actually UWGB Psych will be um, promoting those in video form coming in a few weeks here. So maybe we can give a shout out to that when that happens later this month.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we'll even post them along with this on on All the Rage and in other places, but absolutely check that out um, because it was... A, a very very cool event, really really good talks and uh, a lot of fun. So you people will be able to see five eight or so minute talks uh, in just uh, I don't know maybe about a month once they're cut down and edited and whatnot. So yep, cool cool. Great. All right, so here's the thing. Um, I like doing introductions, as we know we've talked about it on the show. The introductions are are fun. However. We do not have a guest today. Uh, so, and it's it, even, it's unlike past times where either you or I have sort of played the role of guest. We don't even have that. Uh, so Ooh. no guest. Um, but I decided that um, we're we're talking about an article. And so I decided I was going to introduce the article as though it's a guest.
1: <laughs> Love <laughs> so, that. Yeah. An article chum, we might yes, say. Yes,
0: exactly. <laughs> this article is my mucker. Um, <laughs> so, I I don't know if I'm using that correctly. We're going to (laughs) find out after the show. So, all right. Are you ready for my intro? I'm ready. (laughs) You have made, sorry, I just started laughing right out of the gate. You may have read our guest today on March 13th in the Washington Post. Before that, though, it was an idea in an author's head that led to a great deal of research, interviews with experts, and hours and hours of writing. Coming in at approximately 400 words and taking about eight minutes to listen to, it's generated hundreds of comments online and been shared thousands of time on social media. Our guest today is none other than Richard Sima's Washington Post article, Science of Forgetting, Why We're Already Losing Our Pandemic Memories. Welcome to the show, article.
1: (laughs) How are you feeling today? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Feeling good? (laughs) Yeah. All right. So that was fun. Um, why don't we, let's get into it. Cause this is, I mean, talk a little bit about what, what inspired this, uh, this episode, G.
1: Absolutely. Well, I, um, subscribed to a really, uh, great listserv called the behavioral scientists and I highly recommend it. And, uh, so they share interesting thoughts and articles based on empirical research. And so this was one that I was reading about, um, the pandemic and forgetting. And I, um, at the Psychi induction earlier this week, I was giving the keynote and I gave a date for something um, like when Psychi happened. And the date was completely off. And I realized that, like, I have no idea when things have happened and, like, I have no sense of time anymore uh, because of the pandemic. And then I read this article and I was like, wow, I am not alone. Uh, There's a whole entire science of forgetting and why we might all be sharing in sort of uh, some of this forgetting of the small details of our day-to-day life during the last three years it's like a whole big blur so I thought it'd be really fun to talk about it
0: yeah I I love I, I the 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 science of memory is some of my favorite stuff to study and I think we should be clear at the outset that neither you or I are memory experts this isn't our field and so um and neither of us are that kind of psychologist. Um, but I think both of us have had some exposure to this and also what we're really sharing is is the, uh, the the information that is in this article. But I think one of the things I notice is that people's understanding of memory is is of, oftentimes really flawed that people tend to think of memories as operating like a like a recording, you know, and that they remember things exactly as they happened when in reality that isn't the case we conflate things all the time we add things we omit things we you know that and and that's a, a lot of what this article was about but but more specifically related to the pandemic and some of the things we we forgot there uh, or yeah some of the things we remember there and also some things we forgot and so um i think what i wanted to do was just pull a f- couple of sort of quotes from it that we might be able to talk about as we go. I don't know. I think you may have done the same. Um, Mm -hmm. But I want to start out right out of the gate with what I thought was a really interesting statement that a basic assumption that we can make is that everybody forgets everything all the time, said Norman Brown, (laughs) cognitive psychology professor researching autobiographical memory at the University of Alberta. The default is forgetting. That's a that's a statement right there. Like that's a powerful statement that, that we need to, right. to grab onto.
1: Cause I feel like I I always think about, um, you know, like excessive forgetting, you know, like maybe it related to Alzheimer's or dementia. I always think about like that. It would not be typical for a person to forget uh, very often, but I feel like this quote tells us that, forgetting is what we do all the time and they went on in the article to explain some of the um the, the cognitive science of why that might be true and that um we when we once we encode or consolidate those memories in our brains how we remember like the word remember <laughs> um is that we access it and then we reconsolidate it and that's where like things happen that we forget we trim things out we add things in we morph things as we every time we access a memory we reconsolidate it right and it turns out to be a different memory altogether
0: yeah, yeah i mean that's what's so so fascinating i mean and there's to me there's just there's so much interesting research around this and how that happens and how, you know, I think about some of the, this article didn't go into tons of this, though so a little bit, but some of the, some of the stuff we used to think of as flashbulb memories, right? And so I don't, I don't know what your experience was with this, but when I was um, in in graduate school and excuse me, when I was in undergrad, we were taught flashbulb memories as though they were actual, accurate one hundred percent. We we remembered that thing that happened. And so, for listeners, if you're unfamiliar with what a flashbulb memory is, it was this concept of highly emotional events. A lot of times, people would use things like um, September 11th or Challenger exploding or uh, JFK being shot. These are all really old examples, uh, but <laughs> but people would use those examples. Like, do you remember where you were when that happened? And at the time we were taught, no, those are, those are accurate. Right. I mean, I was taught that. And, and since then we know that, no, we, we actually don't remember those things nearly as well uh, as we think we do. Um, and that we commit errors of both omission and uh, I think commission and that we add things to it that, that are similarly uh, untrue.
1: Absolutely. And I think um we were you and i were talking about the very beginning of the pandemic mm-hmm. and i had been thinking uh, about like the first time that i was like learning about the the pandemic and it wasn't called the pandemic then and it wasn't even called covid-19 mm. then yep. it was called like the novel coronavirus like mm-hmm. that was the the term that we were using um but i I thought that I recollected and remembered the moment I figured out what was happening. Um, But then I went back and reviewed some emails that I was sending and I was like, nope, I don't remember it because how we re-access those memories are like smushed together with where we are at now. Like, right. Like I am so much more knowledgeable about how it played out. Uh, and I have different emotions toward it uh, uh, now than I did then. And it's messed with my memories and they're not as accurate.
0: Yeah. I had a, a similar experience. I think, um, I- uh, now I'm assuming that this memory that I'm about to share is accurate, but maybe not. Um, <laughs> so maybe I shouldn't be assuming that. But here's how I remember it now. Well, um, chances are it's not how it happened. But at some point I went back to my office for the first time uh, in a long time during the pandemic, and I, I had that there was a notebook that was sitting there, which was the notebook I was using uh, around the time that that everything started to shut down. And I opened it up to the dates of, of things. And I, I sort of revisited a lot of my notes from work around that time. And it was really interesting to watch. About I mean, even early March, I'm writing about upcoming plans for in-person events, uh, things I want to do in class, in my in-person class, all sorts of things that, you know, and, and then what was it? 12 days later, campus is closed and ends up being closed for the rest of the semester. And I think that was one of, like, when it comes to sort of memories I've forgotten, it was um, just how quickly it all happened. Uh, that was yes. something that I didn't, uh, that I just didn't realize.
1: Yes. And I think also for me at the very beginning, it got scary really fast. And so I I know, you know, a lot more than I do about like emotional memories, but I feel like the things that I remember most, or at least, um, find myself recollecting about, uh, the most are the most emotional, uh, kind of, Mm -hmm. uh, things that happen and how one of those emotions was fear. Uh, I was doing, I was in Iowa doing, um, like a, a departmental evaluation at the University of Northern Iowa. Yeah. Um, and the, I was there the day their campus shut down. And so um, they sent me home. Like I had just driven there. I stayed overnight and then I got up the next morning. I went there for about three hours and then they're like, we can't do this anymore. You have to go home because they might close the state border. Really? Oh, (laughs) so I remember being terrified that I wouldn't be able to come home. Um, And of course, my mind went like directly to like the zombie apocalypse. (laughs) Like, I was thinking like, I'm never going to be able to get back to my family. And I'm gonna have to stay in Iowa forever. And, you know, and it was like scary. And I drove home. And then that next day, our campus shut down too. And I I felt like it was literally the end of the world. And I was so yeah. scared.
0: Well, that's actually, it brings us to a, a really great quote from this article. What we What we remember tends to be distinctive, emotionally loaded and deemed worthy of processing and reflecting upon in our heads after the event happened. Our memories are centered on our life stories and what affected us personally the most. Against that neural backdrop, the pandemic would seem unforgettable. It was a frightening historic event, the likes of which most people have never encountered before. But then it goes on to talk about uh, it was difficult for our brains to encode the overload of information we had to sift through masks, social distancing, super spreaders, more cases, more deaths, new waves and new variants such as Omicron and Delta. And who even remembers all the subvariants? And and that is true. I mean, that I think there's a big piece of it. Like, yes, it was emotional for a lot of us. Um, mm-hmm. most of us but also there was just so much coming at us that it was that it was an emotional and memory overload
1: yes and so that's maybe why I think the beginning was so easy to remember like because it wasn't yet so overwhelming and it was really hard to get information at the very beginning because we didn't have it but eventually and I don't even know how long this took because again like my memory is I would spend like an hour every day, like looking at graphs of like how many cases Mm -hmm. and how many deaths. And there was like a map of the United States and it would color like darker color red or lighter color red by like how many cases there were. And it would go like from the North to the South and winter and summer. And I, I was like consumed by that data kind of thing also because it was so scary to Mm -hmm. me. Did you do similar things? Did you doom scroll so much information?
0: I I did a fair amount of doom scrolling. I also, I think more, my anxiety was more focused on um, kind of what, what were the best ways for us to manage our home. You know, and so my anxiety was really driven by, like, how long could we go as a family without needing to go to the grocery store? Um, And when we did go, what was the best way to handle that? And, And those are some of the things that until I started actually reflecting on it, I hadn't really it's easy to forget kind of in the beginning, we we understood so little that we didn't have a sense for what was safe and what wasn't safe. And so we took what now appear to be or feel like unnecessary provocate not provocations. Uh, um, (laughs) What word am I looking for? Unnecessary um, precautions. Precautions? Yes. (laughs) There we go. Uh, Unnecessary precautions, but at the time they felt necessary because, you know, and so I remember things like, I mean, maybe this is TMI, but when we would come home, when I would come home from the grocery store, I mean, we, we still believed things might be on surfaces, Yep. And so we would bring I, I would we would bring our food inside. It would stay on the counter for a little while before we felt good putting it away. I would actually take my clothes off in the garage and leave them out there for a little while because again, we thought it's possible that's what was going on. And then I would go take a shower. And so again, this might seem a little to some listeners who didn't do these things or some listeners who don't who, who don't necessarily think about it that way. I think again, at the beginning of things, we were, we were unsure. I mean, I think in the very beginning, we thought it existed on surfaces primarily. And so that was one of the things we were, we were being careful of.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that for me, like the thing that I don't remember well is how long did I do that? Like I wiped down my groceries, right? Like, in, in my car. Like I didn't even yeah. bring them in the house until yeah. I used like like the those Clorox, the Clorox wipe. wipes, yeah. if you could get them. And I remember, mm. I remember going to Costco once and there was like a three pack and I thought I had won the lottery. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, like yeah. pick it up off the shelf. You could only buy one. And I thought this is like the greatest thing ever because then I could wipe down my groceries. Hmm. But I don't remember like when did i start doing that and when did i stop right like and and how long mm-hmm. did i do that for i i have yeah. no idea like two years of like basically like two years maybe three
0: mm-hmm. years
1: of my life um one of the the quotes in that article is that um when you have like so much information overload and Another thing that we might talk about, like the monotony Mm -hmm. of the pandemic, um, that the memory sort of puts it together as almost one event.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: I absolutely think about the pandemic, like the pandemic. Right. It was just a single event that just happened to last for three years.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I can absolutely see that, and and it is, and that's kind of what I mean about like, you're right. I I I had these practices early on. Those practices changed over the course of it, and it and it's easy to forget like that there was a point where they, you know, where they were where I was doing things differently than I, you know, and that I that I that I shifted that and. And yeah, and, you know, and not, I mean, yes, it was really scary. And, and I definitely don't want to minimize all of the loss. I know many, many people lost. I'm one of them who lost close family members through, through this. Um, and I don't want to minimize any of that. I do acknowledge that, that not all of my memories though, from that time are unpleasant that I had, there were, there were a lot of, there was a lot of, for me, family time that I actually sometimes find myself being nostalgic for. Um, there were things we did that we haven't done, really done since in the same way. Um, there are even some times where, I mean, I remember sometimes like some gatherings that the department would have, some virtual gatherings that were really, really fun. Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah. I uh, oh, go I, ahead. I agree with that. I think that I, I started like a video, like a vlog thing called <laughs> Nature and Chill. Oh, oh I remember. <laughs> yes, I remember this now. <laughs> Where I would just record my dog just walking (laughs) out in nature, rolling in the snow, listening to birds. And literally, I would post like maybe a nature and chill once a week. And so many people would just watch that and comment like how helpful it was for them, Mm -hmm. how calm and peaceful it made them feel. And that is. One of my most pleasant memories of mm-hmm. the pandemic was just the, the time that I spent out in nature Um, and the, the time with my family and with the dog who now has anxiety because yeah. he no. doesn't forget You're that right. we were home 24-7. Yep. <laughs> he definitely remembers that and wants us to go back to that.
0: <laughs> Remind me, were your kids with you? Like, did they live in house?
1: So... You know, um, my kids were like adults, and mm-hmm. so they were with me until um, fall of 2020 because my mother-in-law, who was very ill, she was dying of cancer, mm-hmm. came to live with us because we couldn't go and see her oh, in the nursing right. home, and so my kids didn't were scared because they were both working out in mm. the world with, like, customers and with other humans they were so scared of getting her sick that they both moved out like Uh-oh. at the same time okay. to protect her which is also something like when people ask you like oh you like are you sad to be an, an empty nester and i was like am i an empty nester and i'm like yeah they they left but it wasn't like the same kind of leaving right like, they they left for a really noble reason that yeah. i will always like think so highly of them for making that choice and um and i remember like packing them up like a ton of food and like stuff mm-hmm. to take with them in case like they couldn't go to the grocery stores right <laughs> it yep. was wild yeah um, <laughs> yeah so i had some time with them like from march until september where we were all together. Uh, My daughter was a student at UWGB. It was her first year. Um, Mm. So she was taking all of her classes next to me as I'm teaching my classes. (laughs) She's taking virtual classes and it was fun. Yeah. And your kids were in school or, well, they still are, but (laughs) but they were in school, virtual school while you were teaching virtual school.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that I actually do, you know, their experience was not it was hard I mean to be clear I don't want to I, I know that it was hard for them but it wasn't Um, it wasn't this sort of negative experience a lot of kids had I think some of it had to do with their age They they both did really well they both like had fun they missed their friends but they also had each other and they you know they they're pretty close in age so they Played games and they would, you know, they they would do a lot of fun, creative things together. They also, I, I think it's fair to say that a lot of ways, you know, I, I'm going to say something that will sound terrible, but you know, the degree to which technology helped get people through this, but but not not necessarily because they were just on screens all the time. When when they were on screens, they were actually interacting with friends. You know, like that was when we got them like Facebook Messenger accounts and things like that, so that they could keep up with their friends, and they would have their own little like happy hours you know and so there was this other couple that we would have like once a week a virtual happy hour with who had um who also have two kids approximately the same age and so they would have their own little separate sort of virtual happy hour in another room where they would hang out and play video games online or whatever and you know like stuff like that that was that was actually pretty fun
1: yeah i am so grateful for the technology that we have um, and had um, we were talking about how we interviewed someone for a job like mm-hmm. a month after uh the the pandemic happened and so we interviewed uh, them online and uh like we were using, I think Skype for business or something. And none of us knew what we were doing. We didn't know how to use it or send an invite and like how quickly we figured all of that out and um, how awesome it is now that you and I are recording this on zoom, which then goes to YouTube, which then like, it's, it's amazing. Like the technological advances I am so grateful for, because I feel like I would have been so lonely Yep. if I weren't able to see other people's faces.
0: Yeah. No. I. Yes. Absolutely agree. I mean, it it is amazing, and and to see how quickly people kind of figured it all out when they when they needed to. Yep. So I want to read this. This is, I think, the last. Well, maybe not. Um, it's not the last line of the article, but something that I think is interesting. It says remembering the past is something we do in the present with all our current emotions, knowledge, and attitudes this reality may have direct implications for how we look back on COVID and contend with the future. And then uh, sort of ask the question, how will COVID be part of your life story? Which I think is a really interesting question because I mean, to me, like this article is about memory. It's not, it's certainly also about emotions. I would argue that in some ways it's also about personality and identity and how you see yourselves and what kind of lessons you, you learned from the pandemic and I, I think and, and also what you know so the example I would use is um, you know uh, you and I whether it was our parents or maybe our grandparents who had experience with the Great Depression and wh- how I think for me I could see signs of that once I was mature enough to get that about uh, a real unwillingness to waste for instance you know that's where I think sometimes the, you got to clean your plate mentality came from and things like that some of those things which are not bad habits by the way (laughs) um but but things that i think were sort of driven by their experience with the depression i sometimes think about that like in in the same context like what impact will this have on uh, us and and moving forward in our identities um what will it have frankly i think about with my kids you know they they were in uh, second and fourth grade when things started so relatively young um and you know what what sort of impact is that going to have, not just on their memories, but but their broader identity?
1: Yeah. I, I think that that is a really interesting question. My kids were both in like a college. And mm-hmm. so uh, the whole idea of what is college? Right. Change completely. Yes. Yep. And I, I think that that will have an impact on generations to come, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, the ways that we do that. But one of the behaviors, like I always remember my dad used to um, wash off tin foil and dry it and fold it and put it back in the drawer and reuse it mm-hmm. again. And that was all like a sign to me, an unconscious behavior that he just, yep. just, just did based on growing up in a, a time yep. where there wasn't as much as there is now. And I feel like hand-washing yeah. is a thing that I will do for the rest of my life that I developed during the pandemic, um, that I think that I will do for the rest of my life. And people will be like, oh, she was alive during the <laughs> coronavirus, <Right. laughs>
0: you know? <laughs> I mean I think we should be clear you did wash your hands prior to the pandemic right I mean yeah, like
1: every once in a while <laughs> I didn't sing happy birthday twice yeah. when I was yep. washing them
0: though <laughs> that's very true you know here's I will tell you here's the thing that I absolutely cannot believe we went back to and it's handshaking I yes. I'm just going to come right out and tell you I think it's the grossest thing human beings do <laughs> don't understand why we shake each other's hands i really thought we were done with that and then nope i it yeah happened to be multiple times today i had to shake people's hands yes. uh, yeah yes. why can't we do the elbow thing loved the elbow thing
1: right or just not at all yeah like just yeah. hey
0: yeah <laughs> just a, a polite nod from across the room seems like yes. to agree people yeah
1: yeah so. like i i'm good with a let's just not shake hands i i agree and I, I feel like some people don't. Yeah. Still. Yeah. Uh, I went to a conference recently where on our name tags you had to put like a sticker about how you would like to be greeted. Like really? I'm a hugger. I will shake your hand. Wow. I'm a fist bump. Don't touch me.
0: <laughs> that's that's interesting because it feels like in order to greet people, you really have to find a match. Like <laughs> I, I think. Like, like, if I'm a, if I'm a fist bump person and I bump into a, and I, and I run into a hugger, like, how are we going to navigate this? It's <laughs> kind of like
1: go in for the, boom. Yeah.
0: So, okay. So, okay. As we, one of the things we said we we're going to do, and I think we've, we've done a little bit of this, but um, we were going to talk about some of our favorite memories from the pandemic that we actually want to hang on to. And then we also want to talk about some things we should remember not to repeat so yes. a lot, let's, let's start with, you know what, let's start with a thing not to repeat. Like what, what are, what are the memories that you, uh, that you, that you don't, we, we need to remember not to do again.
1: I I think like trying to consume too much information, like just yep. like protect yourself from doom scrolling. Yeah. I, I think that that is something that I did not do that mm-hmm. I wish I would have. I think my mental health would have been better during the pandemic had I not.. Right. So that's what I want to learn, yeah, differently
0: mine is a mine is a that is definitely a good one. Mine's a little different from that because mine is more just a more a thing about the pandemic that I don't think I'll ever be able to forget because it continues to infect us, but a thing that I just, and it's the the people's reliance on misinformation. And how much of that we saw, and how even, you know, and I think like the, the the thing about the pandemic that just exacerbated so much and made things so much worse is, to me, was people's um, willingness to believe things that weren't true, or um, uh, inability to sort of accept the things that probably were true while also acknowledging that scientists don't have all the answers and that there are times when it's like we think this is, I mean, that's how we, how we started this. We thought some things were true that weren't true. Um, you and I erred on the side of caution and I'm glad we did mm-hmm. in the retrospect, were those things necessary? No, um, but I'm glad we did them because we did them w- w- in, the, in in as precautionary. Um, That to me is a thing that I think is important to remember in any kind of crisis, right? That we have to be careful about how we are. And it's related to what you're saying about doom scrolling. We have to be careful about how we take in information. We have to be critical of that information. We have to think about it. We also have to trust the people we should trust and and so on.
1: Related to that, a memory that I never want to forget is when I um, eventually went to a local bakery and they had... Anthony Fauci cookies. (laughs) And I was that Uncle Mike's. Was it Uncle Mike? Yes. (laughs) Nice. And like the the fact that a scientist had garnered like celebrity status, the fact that I could go to a local bakery and like buy cookies with a scientist's face on it just made me so happy. Um I I loved that. I loved promoting science and I loved like doing what you were just talking about, avoiding misinformation Mm. and celebrating science was something that was really great during that time that I never want to forget.
0: Yeah, I, I very much agree. I think, you know, actually one of the things I was thinking about before we were talking about, like, by the way, my, my pandemic dog showed up during (laughs) hi Tia. (laughs) So uh, but one of the things I wanted to um, uh, wanted to say earlier is when I was talking about kind of how I I live, one of the most interesting articles I read was an interview with five or six different uh, scientists, one of whom was Fauci, talking about how they lived uh, at various points and how they handled different points. And it was really fascinating. One of the things I remember, at least I think I remember um, from, from Fauci's discussion was that I guess his daughter showed up early on she had and um she was a school teacher i believe and she came into his house and went they didn't hug or anything she went down into the basement and she stayed down there for like 2 weeks and he they they left her food on paper plates outside of the door and stuff like that and said they were you know again to the point about erring on the side of caution um, and thinking, we got to be careful. And, you know, he also acknowledged he, he was, I believe, in his 70s. Um, and, you know, he, he had to be especially careful because he was in that higher risk group. And I thought that was a, a really interesting, uh, just sort of take on things. Real quick, Absolutely. what are what are your favorite memories? What are the things that like you did that just jump out as being so important, or that were actually maybe some positives, the things you're nostalgic for?
1: Yeah, I would I would say definitely my my nature, um, yeah. access to nature and that everybody was out there walking. I loved that. Um, and so that is, I think, my favorite memory. But I also love just like like you said, playing games and like doing puzzles with my kids. And uh, uh, I'm also a huge fan of like picking up groceries like having somebody else shop for my groceries right. and just opening up the trunk and having them put yep. it in there, but you know, yeah. don't tell anyone that.
0: <laughs> I like it.
1: What yeah, about you?
0: We there's really there's a couple things, but the two I really jump out to me one was that we took we we decided we wanted to take a trip in the midst of all this, and so we took a trip that I actually had wanted to do. Since I was a kid, what this is one of these that my family did before I was born, and then always talked about. And so I, uh, but it was to we rented an RV and we drove up to upper Michigan and we went camping for a week in a couple of different places. And it was super, super fun. We, you know, we had brought all the food we needed basically, so that, you know, if we had to go to a grocery store up there, we could. But this was, you know, um, in fact, the campsites, I think it just reopened when we went. I mean, it was, um, And so um, but as a family, just spending eight days sort of on the road and at different campsites and biking and hiking and playing games outside, it was it was a really, really fun trip. Um, The other thing is that we would have these evening like family happy hours, essentially that at the end of our work and school day, we would especially once it got warmer, we would go outside, we'd have fancy drinks, we'd uh, we'd. (laughs) play yard games we bought i went to menards at some point and i basically bought every yard game they had um like <laughs> some of which literally lasted like 20 minutes they they like these are not necessarily good yard games no that's um but they would you know they we would just sit outside and we would play giant jenga or or whatever and listen to music and we streamed a couple of dance parties for people on Facebook, which was which was fun. And so and one of the things I like we haven't talked about yet is how, you know, we did so much on social media that those things now they, they repeat every year. I get to see them. And so from a memory perspective, it's so fascinating to say, oh, yeah, we we made this movie. Right. I, I don't know if you remember, we we remade the the trailer for um, what uh, the rear window but with my kids and looking out the back window, and it, and every now and then it comes up, and I'm like, oh wow, we, I forgot we did that. Like we're just yes. one weekend, it was like a fun little family art project, um, yeah. or we remade the the video, the song from um, Tangled. The wait, <laughs> so stuff like that was. Uh, I lovely. love that. Anything else before we finish up?
1: Nope. What? I just think that we need to continue to recollect yes. things and talk about it um, because if we don't, I I think that this research would tell us that we won't remember it, that it will get trimmed out of our memories. And I think it's important to share these with your kids, with your eventual grandkids, like generations to come. I feel like we need to share the lessons, the joys and the and the sorrows. Of such an important time in our history, um, so that if it happens again, maybe we'll do it better.
0: Yeah, and it it is worth noting. I I totally and completely understand that there are people out there who would rather not remember parts of this, or and and I I've got those things too. You know, the mm-hmm. like the the elements sure. of this or the aspects of this that I just. I would like to push out of my mind for various reasons. But you're right. I mean, I think the part of being human is is hanging on to some of those bad memories too, um, in in ways that allow you to grow not just as an individual but as a as a society um, mm-hmm. and, and not make the the same mistakes of of the past. I think that is really important.
1: Absolutely.
0: Do you have a um, I, I scrolled away from the title of the article. Can you share that with people one last time?
1: It's uh, called The Science of Forgetting, Why We're Already Losing Our Pandemic Memories by Richard Sima.
0: Yes. And it's in the Washington Post. Um, yes. So I think March 13th, if I remember. So, um, yes. so perfect. Uh, so readers, check that out. We will I will post the actual article along with the episode so people can uh, can take a look uh, at it there. So um let's see georgina you are at georgina wd in where what places twitter and instagram is that right or just instagram and right. facebook too oh and facebook too all right Yep. all right and i am at anger professor on twitter facebook instagram tiktok youtube uh linkedin, <laughs> LinkedIn. we got a shout out to linkedin yeah i don't actually know if i'm at anger professor on linkedin but you could find me by searching for my name Uh, There you go. Which is, of course, where you want to connect with me because LinkedIn (laughs) is, that's where I do my best work. (laughs) All right. Excellent. Follow me there. And, of course, you can follow uh, at Psych and Stuff and a couple of those places as well. So thank you so much for listening, everybody. Psychology and Stuff is a production of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. The executive producer is me, Ryan Martin, and the production manager is Rachel Scray. Our audio production coordinator is Bill Salick and our graphic designer is Kimberly Velez. Special thanks to our guests. That article in the Washington Post. If you haven't already, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also head over to our website uwgb.edu/podcast to check out past episodes of this and all our shows. I'm your host Ryan Martin, and I'm here with my co-host Georgina Wilson Dungus. Keep being amazing.